This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you today. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Kevin, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I just want to welcome you to New Life. And this is a unique Sunday in the history of our church, so uh, I just want you to get ready. Today, probably for the first time since we started this church, we have an entire community cheering for the Chicago Bears. If you're a football fan, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not a football fan, you have no idea. Listen, you're nine, the Niners have only won one game. The Bears, my team, has only won two games. So we are fighting for next, round's, next year's draft pick, which means you're all cheering for me, but it's also unique because I am cheering for you. So, but isn't that what the church should be? A community of people where we are rooting for each other, right? That is what we should be, where Niners fans and Bears fans can come together in unity. It is an exciting time. For all of us. Well, I just want to welcome you to our community today, whether it's your first time or your hundredth time. I am so, so glad that you chose to be with us this morning. Uh, a few things that I always get to hear about that you don't, and I, it just, it grieves me that you don't get to know the exciting things that are happening in our church. But I want to give you a snapshot of the things that are happening right now in this community. We had Poker for Presence on Friday night, which was an amazing event. It was an amazing event. Um, we, through Poker for Presence, we were able to adopt 29 different people this Christmas through COTS, the Committee on the Shelter List. It gets better. It gets better. So just wait. We were able to adopt 11 shared houses. Uh, we were able to send 20 kids. Now, these are kids through COTS, the Committee on the Shelter List, 20 kids to summer camp, and give a, a special gift of over $1,500 in a cash donation to COTS through Poker for Presence. Isn't that exciting? It's awesome. It's awesome. It was so fun. Today, we have a group of life group leaders gathering together. They're going to be talking in their huddle this afternoon about how to, how to, to lead and guide and serve us. We have that happening today. We've got our global outreach team meeting with a ministry partner uh, from Mexico, talking about how to better work and partner with our ministries in Mexico through the orphanages and the house buildings that we do. I mean, there's just so much going on in this community, and I love that we get to be a part of it. And special shout out to one of our own who won the poker tournament. I see you back there, Eric Short. Way to go, buddy. Uh, congratulations to you. Uh, for beating me. That's really exciting. So we're all happy for you. We can cheer for each other. Hey, when you walked in, you should have received a program. You're going to want to use that today. Go ahead and grab this card that says start here. This is our connection card. You're also going to want your teaching notes. If they fall on the floor, feel free to pick them up. They will uh, tell you where we're going, the Bible verses we're looking at today. Uh, Your start here card will help you stay connected to us. It will give us access to partner with you in any way that we can. We love to serve you, pray for you, partner with you in any way that would be beneficial to you. So go ahead and get that card filled out. We'll be turning that in a little bit later when we pass some baskets. Uh, Go ahead and get your teaching notes out to use those. And you can get your tithes and offerings ready. Uh, If you came prepared to give, we'll be receiving the offering at the end of our time together as well. Well, while you're getting all of that ready, I wonder, um, did you ever hear someone say on their wedding day, man, I, I hope, I hope this marriage ends badly. <laughs> I hope it gets really, really messy about year eight or year 15. Uh, I hope it leaves me with a ton of pain and regret. I hope the kids are really messed up. Said no one ever on their wedding day, never Never. Every single one of us who's ever been married started our marriage thinking this, I hope I have happily ever after. 
I hope we get everything. And it doesn't matter if you're a Jesus follower, uh, if you are not a Jesus follower, whatever religion you follow, there's a unifying thing here. Anyone who has ever dreamed of getting married, who is married, whoever was married, we've all had this thing in common. On that wedding day, we all want happily ever after. No one ever said, I hope this ends badly. No one, not a person in the history of the world. And yet, it does end badly for a lot of us. And knowing that no one wants it to end badly, our culture that we live in gives us a path to happily ever after. And knowing that no one ever wanted it to end badly, our God gives us a path to happily ever after. And here's the unique thing. God's path and our culture's path are worlds apart. Now, they're trying to get us to the same destination, and sometimes they do. And their heart is for the best. They want happily ever after for us. But they take us on two very different paths to get there. And human nature is such that the path that we see more becomes the path that we accept, which has us looking on the other path, which is God's path, with suspicion. And today we're in this series, I Believe in God, But, and we're talking about God's view of marriage. And our working title is this, I Believe in God, But, was Paul a male chauvinist? Because this guy, Paul, who we're going to talk about later, he gives us God's path to marriage, and it is very different than the path that we see in the world around us. But again, both paths are trying to get us to the same place. The question is, which path will we do? Which path will we take? Because God's view, I'll tell you right now, God's view, God's path, his direction seems outdated. It seems odd. And it seems unfair. And I'll just warn you right now, there's a reason why God's path seems unfair. It's because it is unfair. I'm just going to tell you right now. You can write at the top. God's path equals unfair. It is unfair, but God says it is the thing that will get you where you want to go. So my goal today is to succinctly as I can lay out two paths to the same destination. And then because I love you, because I think you're highly intelligent, I'm just going to let you pick. I'm just going to let you pick the path that you want. I'll do my best to lay out the benefits of both. And then you get to choose. It's like a choose your own adventure because all of us want, we all want a great marriage. If you've ever been married, if you think you want to be married, if you're currently married, you want a great marriage. You want a happily ever after. You want to beat the odds. The question is, which path will we take to get there? So that's what we're going to dig into today. I believe in God, but is the Bible outdated when it comes to marriage and relationships and roles? I believe in God, but is Paul a male chauvinist? That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's dive into path number one, because there's a lot in these paths the first path is, is kind of culture's path. It's the path that we see all around us. It's the common view of marriage. And it goes something like this. Marriage is a contract between two people. And in that contract, I do, and you can fill in your blank, and my spouse does, and you can fill in their blank. We each have a role to the contract. We both fulfill our part of the contract. And if we do, then we will live happily ever after. Contract thinking is the dominant thinking when it comes to relationships in our country. I do blank. My spouse does blank. We live happily ever after. I know this because I did not think I had contract thinking coming into my marriage. 
But I remember in our first month and a half, we moved into our little tiny apartment. It was a great spot. In my mind, this was part of my contract. I do outside housework. My wife does inside housework. So I very strategically moved us into an apartment that had no outside. It was beautiful. So Saturday morning rolls around. I'm just sitting back, relaxing, expecting her to do some work. And she's, she's doing inside housework, but looking at me like, why are you not helping? And I thought to myself, well, this is not part of the contract. If we ever have an outside to do housework, I will absolutely do it. We moved in. We have a house now, and it's got, uh, they took the grass out, which is great, because that means less outside housework in this in this model. See, we all have it. It goes something like this. And I left some space for you. Husbands, this is some of our contract. I left space so you can add your own. I'll just give you some of the common husband contract pieces. Husbands will make money to support the family. That's part of the contract, oftentimes. Maybe they'll coach the kids in sports. And again, you can just put what you want. Play with the kids when they get home. Wrestle, that's part of the contract. Protect if necessary. Right? But how many of us uh, have a home invasion where we need to protect? And let's be honest, husbands. How many of you, if someone broke in, would be like, honey, go check that out? Right? Like, they won't hurt a woman. You're fine. Right? Here, take a, take a, take a flashlight. Wives are part of the contract hour. Go something like this. Take care of the kids. That means things like homework, setting up doctor's visits, dentist appointments, uh, maybe keeping a calendar for the family, keep the house clean, food on the table, um, get a job if necessary and agreed upon by both partners in the contract. But don't get a job if your husband does not agree or want it. Um, sex, when agreed upon by both partners in the contract, and necessary, which there's always disagreement about how necessary sex is, but I can tell you your husband thinks it's part of the contract. So just write it down, because he's pretty sure that there is a contract there somewhere. Frequency is up for debate, but it's there. Now, there's more to both sides. We don't need to get into this, but do you understand what I'm saying? There's a contract happening, and and more often than not, it's an unspoken contract that came from, from his family of origin and her family of origin, and culture plays into this contract, what men are supposed to do and women are supposed to do, and um, age plays into this contract. If you are uh, maybe a millennial, you have different contract subpoints. If you are in the more seasoned era of your life, you have different contract subpoints. But we, listen, the pervading view is that this is a contract. And the upside of the contract is this. It's fair. It's fair. I do my part. You do your part. If we both do our part, if we both fulfill our side of the contract, we grow in mutual respect for each other. She does these things to keep us going. I do these things to keep us going. I respect her for what she brings to the family. She respects me for what I bring to the family. Mutual respect is there. Listen, both of these contracts are trying to get us to the same place, which is happily ever after. The contract model is a fairness model. Ideally, if we're both keeping up our side of the contract, that mutual respect turns into admiration and healthy dependence, and partnership, and then ultimately love. That, that is where it goes. The downside of this model 
is that there's a high likelihood that after 18 or 20 years, when your kids go off to high school or off to college, you recognize we have become housemates who fulfill our sides of the contract. We've all had friends who are empty nesters, and they look at each other and say, I I don't actually know you, because your part of the contract was take care of the house, take care of the kids. My part of the contract was make the money, support the family. We did our parts of the contract well. We took care of the kids. They're fairly well adjusted. Two out of three are not in jail. We're going in the right direction. (laughs) Marijuana's been legalized, so the third one's doing okay now. Like, we're doing, you know what I mean? Like, we just went up in our parenting. This is good. But then we look at, too soon? soon? Yeah, okay. But then we look at each other after 20 years and we say, yeah, but I don't actually really love you or, or know you. We've just been fulfilling a contract together. And now you don't really need me to provide financially for you. You've saved up enough and I don't really need you to take care of the kids and dentist appointments. I'm not that smart, but I can make my own dentist appointments or my teeth are almost falling out anyway, so we're fine. (laughs) And we move into this two streams of life where we don't actually love each other. We just cohabitate together. Another downside of the contract is this. When life gets busy, our default is to go back to the lowest common denominator of the contract. If, if, if as a, a husband, you've ever said to yourself or to your spouse, if you were dumb, um, <laughs> I provide for our family, what more does she want? You've gone to the lowest common denominator of the contract. Things are busy. Seriously, you want me to listen to your problems? I do that all day at work while providing for the family. I, I wish he would blank. Be more attentive. Play with the kids. Play with, you know. Have fun with me. Like, I don't know where we're going with that. I, that's his side. Never mind. But whenever we get to the lowest comment, when, when life gets busy and life gets busy, can we just agree? Life gets busy? Oh, hey, it's Christmas. Yay. Now we have to buy presents. Yay. Like, people are coming over. Life gets busy, right? How many of you are like, thank God. It's December 26th. Come on. Not me. I love Christmas. Hear me out. I love, I love me some Christmas. I can't wait for Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve services are going to be amazing. Three o'clock and 5.30. Don't miss out. Invite your friends. You're not going to want to miss it. But how many of us, life gets busy and we go to the lowest common denominator? Seriously? Seriously? That's what I need to do when I get home? I've done enough. Honey, Seriously? You want me to blank? I've been taking care of the kids all day. I've got this screaming baby dragging behind me. Do you not see this? This is the contract model. Here's the other downside of the contract model. No one, no one can keep the contract perfectly. No one can. We are imperfect beings. We can't keep a perfect contract as imperfect beings. And when our spouse doesn't keep the contract perfectly, now, we don't keep it perfectly either, but at least we are us. So we give ourselves grace when we don't keep it perfectly. But when our spouse doesn't keep it perfectly, boy, something comes in where we, we kind of get one foot out the door and say, well, if, if, if they're not keeping it perfectly, maybe I should look for someone else who does keep the contract better. Because you're not fulfilling your part of the contract. This is, listen, if you've ever thought this, this is not what I signed up for in marriage. That is contract model thinking. 
He is not keeping his end of the contract. This is not what I signed up for. So then we start thinking, well, maybe someone else could help me fulfill the contract better. We got married so young, we didn't even know what the contract was. Now it's been 20 years, and I don't like the contract that we've set. I need to find a different person who, who's more mature, who understands the contract differently or better. And we begin looking, and one foot goes out the door because this isn't what I signed up for. But could it be you signed up for the wrong thing? That the contract model, while it looks fair and right and good and promises this, and listen, every once in a while, a couple in the contract model fulfills their contract well enough that it actually leads them to happily ever after. And it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I love that. I love that. But more often than not, the contract model actually, the downsides of it highly outweigh the upside that will lead us to happily ever after. Statistically speaking, contracts never work over the course of 40 years or 50 years or 60 years because life happens and while it looked good on paper or it looked good in our brains or, you know, your, your 25-year-old self on your wedding day thought, this contract is perfect. Do you realize what this means? This means I only have to do half of what I used to have to do. And then you got married and you realized, no, this means I have to do double of what I, I used to have to do. And then you have kids and, oh my gosh, talk about blowing up the contract. They don't do anything for us. <laughs> they just make it harder. Praise God for school. Love it. All right. So that's the contract model. Let's look at God's view. Let's look at God's view of marriage. It comes from uh, a little letter called Ephesians. And there are different places you find this same view of marriage. But I want to take this letter in Ephesians uh, because most of us know it, but we might have heard it in different uh, ways, different language. And it leads us to think um, Paul's a chauvinist. God's view of marriage is outdated. I'm never going to read the Bible again. How could you believe something like this? But I think it could be that because we don't understand the culture that Paul was speaking into, we don't understand the nuance of what he was saying, we don't actually understand the brilliance, the brilliance of God's model. And so we throw the baby out with the bathwater. So what I want to do is I want to slow down a little bit. I want to dig into just a handful of verses, and I'm going to ask you to not tune out. When you hear a phrase that's just like grates on you, and you're like, no, that's why I don't come to church, read the Bible, believe in God. No, just, just don't tune out, because we're going to dive back into it. So here's what Paul says. Here's God's model, and I'll do my best to get us into an ancient uh, Near Eastern mindset of family comes from Ephesians, and and he starts off by saying this, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. That word submit means place yourself under someone else. Place yourself below someone else. In the Bible, we're called to submit in all kinds of relationships. We're called to submit to God, place ourselves under the leadership, protection, safety, direction of God. We're called to submit ourselves to governing authorities, to place ourselves under laws that govern our country. We're called to submit ourselves to spiritual leaders, to place ourselves under their leadership. Now, it's not a blind followership. We're not lemmings walking off a cliff. But there is an orientation towards, I'm I'm going to place myself under something else 
out of reverence to Christ. And here he goes even further. And right now, Paul's talking to a whole community of Jesus followers, not just a husband and a wife. He's going to start laying it out in the context of marriage, because that's where we have the most opportunity to do it. But he's actually talking to all Jesus followers in this little, this little community. And he says, and now I want you to submit yourselves to each other, e- each of us. He's talking to those in spiritual leadership over the community. I want you to submit yourselves to the community. He's talking uh, to you and I. I want you to submit yourself to each other. Everyone just keeps putting themselves under. Why? Because in doing it, we actually honor God. Think about that. We show our submission to God. We place ourselves under God's leadership. We show that in the way that we put ourselves under each other, putting their needs before ours, taking our leadership and voluntarily putting it under someone else's. Pastor Ron did this when we made our leadership transition in the church. It'll be three years in February since I became your lead pastor, which is crazy. But pastor Ron, who founded our church, hey, thank you, Dan. I appreciate that. That's why we keep the, the leaks, because in case it, this place burns up, like fire starts coming down, we got the water to keep us cool. So that's good. Um, I haven't burnt it up yet. But listen, here's what Ron did. He led the church as our point leader, founded it, led it for 17 years, and then in moving me into the lead role, submitted himself to my leadership. Think about how hard that is to do with the church that you founded, that you started, to a kid who's 30 years younger than you, who's not going to get it all right. Maria and I were talking about this last night. Um, Ron and I could not be more different We believe in church. We believe in the way the church should function. We believe we should be reaching our community, that the door should be wide open, that grace should be the orientation of our church. But in terms of how we speak, how we think, when was the last time Ron ever said something accidentally inappropriate? Never. Never was the last time. Honestly, never was the last time Ron did that. Like, Ron would prep for this message in deep prayer and meditation. I did that weeks ago, but you know what I did last night to prep for this message? Last night, I turned on 90s hip-hop and sang to my wife. That's how I prepped for a marriage sermon. Come on! I don't think Ron did that when he was prepping for a marriage series. Girl. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't think Ron sang that to Monica. I just don't think so. I could be wrong. He submitted himself. Okay, we get the idea. (laughs) And now he goes into how submission is supposed to look. Verse 22, wives, don't tune out. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, to God. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. We're going to come back to that. Your husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Here's the context. In the ancient world, women had almost no rights. They were little more than property. Their success in society Their livelihood, their protection fell exclusively to their father when they were children, to their husbands when they got married. Their husband was, in effect, their functional savior. 
He protected them. Her husband cared for, uh, cared for her needs, made sure she was safe, made sure she had um, some level of security. He was the functional savior of his wife in that context, because in and of herself, she had no savior, no protector. Paul says, wives, you've submitted to Christ. He is your ultimate savior. Jesus is your savior who protects you, who cares for you, who meets your needs, who gives you a voice, who walks with you, who will never leave you. In the same way, wives, as Christ is your ultimate savior, your husband in this culture is your functional savior. He is your cultural savior. He meets your needs. He protects you. He provides for you. He is, in fact, the head of your family in the culture that they're speaking to. And in the same way that you surrender your will to God, Paul says, surrender or submit your will to your husband's. Now, this would not have been revolutionary in the time that Paul was preaching. This would have been like, yes, of course, this is what we do. Women did that all of the time. Now, the next part would have been revolutionary. The next part would have been the time when all the husbands in the room were like, murmur, 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 oh my gosh, that Paul, he's such a feminist. That's what they would have said. Because look what Paul says to husbands. Because remember, he's saying in verse 21, everyone submits to each other. Everyone, out of reverence to Christ. Husbands, here's how you submit to your wives. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Murmur, murmur, murmur. That Paul, he's such a, he's such a feminist. He's all about women's rights. That's what they would have said. That's funny. You should laugh at that. Because we don't think that about Paul. And so this is different than, see, what we think but that's what they would have thought. Thank you. I picture that going differently. Love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way that Christ gave himself for the church, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife actually loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed their body and they care for their body just as Christ feeds and cares for the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, verse 31, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Not two people who cohabitate together. Uh, not two people in a contract. One flesh. The two will become one flesh. This is a—we're going to come back to this. This is a profound mystery. It's a profound mystery mystery. Paul says, but I'm actually talking in marriage about Christ and the church. Put a pin in that. We're going to come back. And each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. Wives, or husbands, husbands, your wives are valued by God and are of immeasurable value. Husbands, he says, your wife, before she was your wife, God says she was my daughter. Before she was your wife, 
She was actually your sister in the family of God. Now think about that. And your job, your job, is to put your wives, hopes, dreams, preferences, needs, first. Now, he would say, wives, you do this too. But the truth is, in that culture, the wives already did it. They already put their husband first in everything, from decisions to food to the house. The husband was, was first. Husbands, your jobs are to put your wife's needs, preferences, always, only, first. Above the kids, above work, above your friends, above life group. And that word love is this interesting word in the original language. It's, it's a word agape, which means self-sacrificing love. It's not sexual love. Paul says that's the end of the caboose if you do this other part right. But the engine of love is self-sacrificing love. A love that submits itself. Paul here is being so extremely ahead of his time in terms of equal rights for men and women. It's like, it's, it's mind-blowing, the things that Paul is saying here. So here's God's view. If I could kind of, if I could bring it down and then we'll talk about how it plays out. God gave marriage as a self-giving relationship between two partners. This is in your notes. God gave marriage as a self-giving relationship between two partners that benefit the other person, that benefit the other person and points the world towards Jesus. And we're going to get into that at the very end. But God gave it as a self-giving, not taking, not contract, a self-giving relationship between two partners that puts the benefits, that benefits the other person and points the world towards Jesus. Now, I want to be very clear, like as clear as I can. There are going to be some people in this room, Jesus followers, primarily women. So I want to talk to you for a minute. Now, if this is you and, and you're a man, I, I want to talk to you too, but primarily women who are going to hear that and you're in an abusive relationship, whether it's physically or verbally, and you're thinking, well, I guess I need to stick because my job is to give myself to my partner in a way that benefits them. Staying in an abusive relationship does not actually benefit your partner because that's not who your partner was designed to be. Setting a boundary, stepping away, moving them towards counseling and health and wholeness is actually putting their needs first. And if that does not happen, you do not stay in a marriage where you're being abused. And I just need to say that as clearly as I can. Because, again, I think this is probably a small group, but, you know, we're going to have 500 of us walking through here today. There's somebody, there's probably somebody in here. And you hear that, and the only thing you can think is, I have to stay. I have to stay. God tells me I have to stay. Now, God is not, God's not a sadist. God does not want you to be in a relationship where you are being abused, taken advantage of. No, he wants healing and wholeness for your spouse and for you. Sometimes the best thing you can do is to walk and get help. And I don't want to at all communicate something other than that because your spouse is supposed to love you as Christ loved the church, as your spouse loves their own body. 
Now, that being said, let's talk about this for a second. There is no conditional contract in this model. It's self-giving. I'm giving myself to you for your benefit and to point the world towards Jesus. This kind of relationship never asks, what about me? What's in it for me? Why aren't my needs being met? Where's my dinner? (laughs) This never asks that. (laughs) This type of relationship always asks, how can I make your life simpler today? How can I make your life better today? How can I best serve you today? How can I make you feel safe today? How can I make you feel like you are enough today? Good enough, smart enough, attractive enough, doing enough today, right where you are. How can I do that for you? This is, this is the kind of question that this, this model asks. See, in the contract model, you can only win when both parties fulfill their part of the contract. That's the only way a contract model wins. And it does win sometimes. We see happy couples, but they're the exception to the rule. Both couples fulfilled their contract. Respect grows. Admiration grows. Friendship grows. Love grows. We do see that. But you can only win in the contract model when both parties agree to and fulfill their end of the contract. The great thing about this model You can win even if your spouse doesn't fulfill their end of the contract. Because your win is not dependent on them. Your win is only always dependent on you. Because when they need something, you get to give. When they're struggling, you get to serve. When they're feeling insecure, you get to to lift them up. See, winning in this model looks like this. Getting home after a long day and then going to the grocery store to make dinner. Winning looks like doing homework with the kids when neither of you wants to. <laughs> ah, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> how, many of you seen, how many of you have seen the movie The Breakup? Anybody? It's an old movie with Vince Vaughn. Love that movie. Not in my notes. Do you remember in the very beginning when she's doing all the dishes and he's playing PlayStation? And she's like, She's like, aren't you going to help me with the dishes? He's like, I'll help you with the dishes. She's like, I I want you to want to help me with the dishes. And he says, no one ever wants to do the dishes. Like, I don't want to want to do the dishes. She's like, I want you to want to do the dishes. That's contract model. Listen, you're winning in here when you want to do the dishes. That's winning. That's winning. (laughs) Listen, in this model, listening to your spouse's problems, heartache, hurt, listening, not fixing, Listening is winning. Living in the tension of tears in your marriage is winning. Not running when things get tough is winning. Telling him what I appreciate about him is winning in this. In this. See, it's, all, it's not dependent on you. It's all dependent on me. And there are at least three benefits to this model. There's one downside, which is it's not fair. It's not fair, but let's just be honest. No one fulfills the contract perfectly, so it's never fair. The contract is never fair. At least in this, we know it's not fair, and we choose the unfairness of it because there are three benefits. The first is this. This is the only type of marriage that will leave us fulfilled when we go through the inevitable or worse moments of our marriage. How many of you said for better or worse, but or worse was just kind of a tag? Like, you're like, there's no or worse in marriage. (laughs) 
There's only better. It's always going to be rainbows and unicorns. This model leaves you fulfilled when you go through or worse. This model gets stronger when your spouse gets cancer and cannot do anything for themselves, can fulfill none of the contract. Because when they get cancer and can't do anything, it just gives you more opportunity to serve, to give yourself to them, to do things for them. And then you're winning when they are struggling. This is the only type of marriage that when depression hits and your spouse cannot see the next step and feels like they're failing constantly and feels hopeless, this is the one where you're winning when you can show them through your words and your actions that they are in fact lovable right where they are. This is the kind of marriage that when the kids are raising hell and your spouse cannot take it anymore, when she, when she or he is about to give them the right hand of fellowship. You know what I'm talking about? This is the kind of marriage. This is the kind of marriage where this is the kind of marriage where you step in and say, let me come home from work early so I can take over. It's not because you're weak. It's because this is hard and I want to serve you. And then you're winning when you take time off work. You're not losing. You're winning. It's great. It's the only path where those or worse moments become opportunities to win because it's more chance to give ourselves to our spouse. The second reason is this. This is our best shot at giving our spouse what we deeply desire in return. Because what do we really desire? We desire to be loved the way that I'm talking about, don't we? Don't you want to be loved like that? Don't you want your spouse Like, they wake up in the morning thinking, how can I love God by giving myself completely to my husband, by giving myself completely to my wife? Isn't that what we want in marriage? Don't you want a spouse like that? Now, let me ask you, how many of you have tried to to craft a spouse like that? Try to coerce a spouse like that? Try to um, helpfully let them know that they're not a spouse like that? Did you get what you wanted? No. It might take six weeks, it might take six months, it might take six years. But if your spouse knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are 100% for them, eventually, eventually, more often than not, they will feel safe. And when we feel safe and accepted right where we are, eventually, more often than not, they will then give themselves back to us as opposed to protecting themselves from us. Ultimately, it's your best shot at getting what you want, which is a spouse that puts your needs before theirs. But someone has to lead the way. Someone has to. And here's what I'm going to say today. Uh, I was going to, I was going to like send out some discussion questions, how to get this going, right? And, um, and one of our staff said to me, uh, if you do that, I I think you might actually just be starting a fire, like that you don't need to start right now. Like, if, you, if, I, if I give this message and, and you go home and you expect your spouse to switch models and they don't switch models, you're actually going to be worse off than you were in the contract model. You will be worse off because now you're expecting a whole nother game. You just switched the game plan on your spouse. 
So here's what I'll promise you. In 2017, I'm going to do a whole series on this idea. This whole idea came from a coffee I was having with a few friends, just laying out some thoughts on marriage and various views. And and we decided to write it down on a piece of paper. And then a message came out of it. Here's my promise. In 2017, I will do a whole series on this idea. How do we split this out? How do we do this? How do we talk about it? Who knows what we'll add into it? But I'll do a whole series on it. For now, for now, can I just ask you, if you choose to take me up on this model, would you do it with no expectation of your spouse doing it? Would you just say, I'm just going to do it? I don't expect them to change. I'm just going to do it because someone has to go first and then just try it for a while. Would you just do that for me? Don't go home and expect them to change. Just do it here and just see what happens. In fact, one of our next steps is um, I'm going to invite you to switch models up until Easter, from now to Easter. Don't tell your spouse you're doing it. Just quietly. If they're here today, like hopefully they'll take the challenge too. Like hopefully. Like I see you guys like looking at each other on the side of your eyes. You think I can't see you? You're like, hey, did you get that? That was pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to ask you between now and Easter, between now and Easter, covert mission to switch models without telling your spouse and just give yourself to them out of reverence to Christ. See what happens. There's no guarantees, but it's our best shot that they will actually feel safe enough to give themselves back to us. And the third one is this, and I love this. It honors Jesus, and it's our witness to the world. Married couples, our marriages are our witness to the world. Paul said it like this at the end. Remember, he said, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He says, in a very real, a very deep way, this self-giving love points to Jesus who gave himself for us, who loved us so much that he demonstrated his self-giving love by giving his life for us, hoping that in return we would give ourselves back to him. That is God's great hope. And if you're here today for the first time and you're not a Jesus follower, His hope for you is that you would experience his self-giving love and in response, let the walls fall down. Allow his forgiveness to envelop you. Allow his healing to take place within you and transform you and then give yourself back to him. That's his hope. But he didn't force it. He gave himself to us. And Paul says, when I love Maria that way, I'm actually pointing my family towards Jesus, but I'm pointing the world towards Jesus because this model is by far the less used model in our culture. And it is our witness to the world. It is our witness. You don't even have to say. People will just notice and they'll ask questions. And then you'll say, I heard, uh, this is what I always say to Maria whenever I quote myself. I say, I heard a wise pastor say one time, and then I quote myself. I think that is just so funny every time. But, right? But people will notice and they'll say, what do you, your marriage is different. You'll say, I heard this wise pastor say one time that there's a different way to do marriage. And the world will notice. My favorite compliment for 2016 that I received. And, and I, I appreciate, boy, when you say, hey, that, that sermon touched me or that whatever really meant something to me, it, it speaks to my heart and I love it. I love it. But my favorite compliment from last year was a Facebook compliment that I received. Did you know that Facebook can be used for good? Did you know that? I don't know if you know that or not. 
there was a day, there was a time not so long ago when Facebook was used for good. It was on my, our 10-year anniversary, and uh, a Facebook friend said this, Wow, 10 years for Kevin and Maria. Seeing you two together is like food for my heart. The way that you honor and respect each other, your dedication to raising your babies in the light, your deep commitment to continually growing your relationship are just some of the things that I admire about you. And I love this next sentence. Far from the stereotypical whitewashed and sanitized image of a pastor's marriage. I like that. I like that. I'll take it. You two love each other with passion, authenticity, and transparency. And this friend wrote, I imagine I'm not the only person who feels blessed to be able to witness your life together. Thank you for sharing it with us, with prayers that your love will ever only grow stronger and deeper and prove to be everlasting. Happy anniversary. Oh my gosh, that just, I love that. I didn't write it. I loved it though. I'll take it. That is the thing that, that, that Paul is saying. When we love, and Maria and I don't get it right. I'll, I'll just tell you right now. I'll tell you right now. I've slept on the sofa. Absolutely I have. And it's not because I fell asleep. Like, <laughs> I, nope. Hey girl, I see you. But I love our marriage. I love that this is, the, this is the model we've chosen. Do we switch back into contract thinking sometimes? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But do we move back to this model? Yes, we do. And I'm telling you, it's working. It's working. I've tried the other one. I've tried the correcting coaching. Could you imagine being married to a pastor who has God like a biblical answer for everything? Hey, honey, the Bible says this. Hey, honey, the Bible said that. I tried for the first couple of years to try to form her into this kind of a person back to me. And you know what it did? It just did this to my wife. And it just does that to your husband. So then a couple of years ago, we just switched models to this one. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? How can I serve you? Oh, you forgot an onion? I would love to go to the grocery store. Absolutely. Oh, you're going to a conference? Let me go get gas in the car for you. Absolutely. Wouldn't you know, it just, it, it, it brought her out of her shell and raised her up. It brought me out of my shell. I, I used to be so reserved. <laughs> and God willing, it's a witness. God willing, it's a witness. Now, let me just say this. We've got, we got to wrap up. This is so fun. Don't you love church? You can come back. We have another service. We're going to do this again. I love this place. I love this place. Christ, Jesus Christ, loves you with a selfless, self-sacrificing, give-it-all kind of love. He demonstrated it when he left heaven. You think it's hard to get off the sofa to love your spouse? He left heaven to come to earth, to give himself fully for the object of his affection. Fully. In hopes that we, the object of his affection, would give ourselves fully back. And if you're here today, and you're not a follower of Jesus, can I invite you today? God gave himself fully for you. To pay the penalty for your sin, those destructive thoughts and words and actions that are hurting you and separating you from God, to pay the penalty for your sin, which was death, 
to bring about forgiveness from your mistakes, your hurts, your habits, and your hang-ups, and to begin healing you from the inside. Only God can do the ultimate healing in our lives. And his invitation to us is start by receiving that love and then respond by giving ourselves back. And if you've never given yourself back and never received that love, I want to give you a chance to do that today, to say yes to him. So would you join me? I want to pray for you right now. Lord, would you work? You already are, so I guess I'm, I'm thanking you and asking at the same time. I'm thanking you because I look in this room and I see, I see marriages that are messy and at times painful. And I see women and men who deeply want to honor you and want to move to a paradigm like we're talking about. And I see ways that we are moving there. And I love the hope that I see. So thank you for what you are doing. And I'm asking that you would even more fully do this. Move us. Move individuals. And as one part of a couple decides to go first, would you help the other just to notice a change and then give themselves fully back? Because we want what everyone wants. Ultimately, we want, we want happily ever after. Would you show us how to follow you to get there? God, would you use our marriages to be a witness to the world, not of perfection, but of authenticity and of transformation and of self-giving love? Would you do that, God? Would you do that miracle? Hundreds of times over in our church. And if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you have not received the great gift of God's love and then responded by giving yourself back, I want to give you a chance to do that now. It starts by simply acknowledging God's invitation and responding to it here with your, your heart and words and prayer and then as we walk out with your life. So if you're ready to commit your life to God, to become a Christ follower, you can repeat this prayer after me. You can whisper it where you're sitting. You can say it even internally. God hears, and the great thing is God responds. So you can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me so deeply that you gave your life for me to pay the penalty for my sin, to open the door for healing, to, to envelop me in your family. And I want to walk with you. So would you come into my life? God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you forgive my sin and begin the process of healing and transformation as I walk with you? I give myself over to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.